Hey there, Squash fans. Quick note, we had a really great streak going there for the past couple months, putting out almost three shows a week. But the past two weeks, behind the scenes, we were juggling a bunch of things that made it hard to get these episodes out the door. We have a bunch of great content coming up in the pipeline here, so we can't wait to get it out. Thanks for all your support, and let's jump in. In this episode, we roll back the clock to a time when my co-host, Bill, became a semi-viral blogger, fueled by another passion of his, the blockbuster TV shows 24. Then we lean into a coping mechanism to deal with this year's cancellation of the fan-favorite Tournament of Champions hosted in Grand Central Station. So we dream up other places around the globe that we might pick for another top spot. For some inside inside talk, whether we're talking about TOC or CTU, the clock is ticking on this episode of The Breakdown. What about this? This call is being recorded. When they were organic, but now I know. Now I know you're trying to catch me off guard and start the podcast before I'm ready. But So I'm actually ready to not be ready. Either way, you are on the air. <laughs> I was trying to prompt the ready, but sure. All right. Actually, we should have a countdown clock for this one. Oh, that's a good one. You have a team of engineers working with you right now, right? You could just have them insert that after we record this, right? You know, that's a very subtle cue, but well, I'll take it. All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of The Breakdown. We're here with Bill Buckingham, my co-host, and we're doing TBD4. Can you believe it's already been it's four? Amazing. And what's more amazing is we've actually kept on track and we're doing one a week and they're actually coming out once a week. I actually yeah. had, I actually played golf in the sub-zero weather yesterday with someone who was a subscriber. Um, and he actually asked on the first tee before I even flipped tees to see who goes first. He said, did your podcast drop this morning? And I was like, wow, you really follow. And I said, it's going to come out this afternoon. <laughs> well, using four, we are going to try and bridge off that and talk about 24. <sighs> 24. In what, 24. In, in what context? So for the listeners out there and, you know, Bill, who's been around the block, so to speak, was actually a mini celebrity back in the day. T take me back to the year that, and I'll set it up, but like what year are we talking back here? 2001. 2001. Was, 2001. Exactly. Okay. So tw 2001, guys. And for all the youngsters out there, this is way pre-social media. This is Round blogs and, you know, and the internet started becoming a thing. And Bill was a viral hit before it was a viral. People even knew what viral meant. And what I'm talking about is he was 24 guy. <laughs> I, I had a blog before there were blogs and uh, had a blog that was very, very, very finitely focused on one thing and one thing only. The television show 24 uh, with Jack Bauer. And for those, because it's been a little while since 24 has been on the air, and this was a blockbuster hit TV show, and give the context of what it's about. Uh, if you if you kind of want to know what it's about, you could watch um, what, what's that that the other series that designated survivor designated survivor. It's almost like it's that's that's uh, 24, but Jack Parr becomes president. But no, so 24 was. Basically, um, the synopsis of, let's go the first season anyways, there's an agency called CTU, which I guess would be kind of like Homeland Security would be now, I'm thinking, or, you know, a quasi CTU, Homeland Security, FBI, CIA, like all wrapped into yeah. one. 
and their job was to obviously to protect the homeland. Um, and they had an office and Jack Bauer was like their rogue agent. And so the plot of 24 in the first season was they kidnapped Jack Bauer's wife and daughter, forced him to assassinate a presidential candidate, David Palmer, uh, who was uh, running to become the first uh, black president in the United States. And they basically said, if you don't assassinate him, we will kill your family. And that was the, uh, and so what they did is each episode was in real time. So the whole show only took place in one day, over 24 hours. I mean, they, <laughs> they, 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 they use a lot of poetic license with that. But it ostensibly each episode was 12 a.m. to 1, 12 p.m., you know, midnight to 1 a.m., 1 a.m. to 1, 2 p.m., and so on and so forth. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've all had busy days, so to speak, but that felt like a busy day for Jack Bauer. And when did you decide to start writing a blog about it? Episode uh, one, you're yeah. inspired. <laughs> I, I I always liked Jack Bauer. I, I, I've always liked Keith or Sutherland, Lost Boys, the whole deal. So I was always a fan. And so when this show came out, it kind of piqued my interest. And and this show was being built up and like on all the sporting mm. events they were doing, um, doing promos for it. It was like a big deal because it was on going to be on Fox, and Fox was doing NFL football. Fox was you know doing sports, and I obviously watch a lot of sports. So I got geeked up about it then also. Uh, and then nine uh, eleven happened, so they delayed it. Um, it was supposed to like back in the day, back in, in again, people who, who don't know who are younger, don't realize that like the television season used to start in September yeah. and then all the shows would get introduced in September. And since this show had such a theme, uh, of terrorism and things such as that, they, they delayed the start of it. And, uh, so it, I think it, I think it, it didn't come out until like November or maybe December even. Um, but yeah, so, um, I was writing also for my, I was in my previous job, I was writing a food blog, um, about, um, like restaurants in the area and like little dive places that normal people tourists wouldn't go in the area where that I work for, um, as a side gig. And so I liked writing. I always did. And, um, so we just, I, I, and after watching the first episode, it was so over the top crazy that you knew you could spoof it. So basically my blog was basically a spoof of it. <laughs> but I mean, okay. If you're out of 10, what would you get this show? Oh, a hundred. It was the best show in television history. No, no, no question about it. It was, it was so. And put it this way, the first season was actually. And it's funny. My younger brother, who never watched it, watched it this past year during the, you know, during the pandemic and all. He, he went and found. I don't know where he found it. I don't even know where he could watch it anymore. And he, um, he watched it and he was like, "This is an awesome show." And it's still. He, he said it still stands up. But, but like all viewers, as the seasons went on, it just got just so over the top ridiculous at times. He, yeah, there was a period where I was like, you should have, uh, in hearkening back to Jerry Seinfeld, they should have hung it up at a certain point. Yeah, so for, for sure. I think, I think, <laughs> you know, a cynic would say after season one, but I actually like season two, season three. It's when they brought Audrey in, which was, uh, mm. which is a deep dive for people, which was season four, which went to me was when it went downhill. So there's eight seasons, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, there's six. I count six because I don't count redemption or any of the ones that come after. So okay. I don't, I don't count. I don't count any of the ones once. Um, so they, it, uh, it, this is the one out. time I will definitely defer to you because you are, 24 guy and i keep wanting to add the 24 guy which i think i will so there's six what do you have a ranking order for them number one far and away the best um i i, I didn't and then i i like uh i like season three where they it was like the mexican cartel uh and he was like jack was like a drug addict and had taken heroin and stuff to like infiltrate himself and 
into the Mexican cartel. That was probably my second favorite season. After that, they're all kind of tied. Um, I, I hated the season four. I didn't like that much because of Audrey, who I disliked. Uh, I really intensely disliked. And then season six, when he came back from the Chinese prison with like the big beard and stuff. And that's the worst or not? Or... I, I, I hate to say it's the worst because it's still a pretty right, good episode. Why but don't it... we just tier them? So it sounds let's, like... Let's, let's tier them. One, no, three. Number one. One, one three are, are both good. I like them. One's the best. Three is three is really good, and the rest of them are the same. You're getting them all the same? They're all the same. I mean, if it weren't for Audrey Heller being in season four, and you could tell my my hate of Audrey Heller, I don't know why I hate her, but I just hate her. Um, I think they're all the same, yeah. So as another way of putting this, Bill, is you were essentially, like I said, you're a mini celebrity here, um, or an influencer before it was the term influencer. Yes. yes you were, uh, this was sort of a pen name, and... I'm remembering a story, and I really don't know how this guy even put this together, that we were at Yankee Stadium together. Yeah, so let, let me backtrack really quick. Okay. I, I know, I think I know the story you're going to say, actually. So I, I think at that point, you, we probably just met each other, you and I, right? Yeah, we, within we, a year or two. Within a year or two, and I had probably told you about this, and I was had stopped doing it by then. And You I told probably, me in passing, Yeah, I didn't, I didn't care. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> which I appreciate because I... I 100% appreciate because I, I care little about what anybody else talks about but myself. So fair enough. Um, so I started doing this. And back in the day, there was a, a, a website called Barstool Sports. Um, and they were a newspaper and a fledgling website. Now they're like an Uber media company. I mean, they do everything and they're so big and beyond blown up beyond, you know, they're, they're just huge. Everybody's heard of Barstool Sports, love them or hate them. So what I was doing back then was sending my, in email form, believe it or not, in a Word doc, sending my blog to Dave Portnoy, who is the CEO, President El Presidente, as they call him, of Barstool Sports, because he was thirsting for content. Back then, if now, if you read these old things about him, he was basically writing all the stuff on the newspaper that he did and on his website under other names, but they were all him writing it. And he was doing fake advertisers and things like that to blow up his company. But either way, I used to send him it every, the show was on Monday night, if I'm mistaken, it could have been Sunday night, but Monday night, either way, the Monday. next the next morning, I would send him, I would write the blog that night after the show. And the next morning I would email it to him and he would print it, put it up on the Barstool website and people would comment on it and like basically say, it sucks. Who is this idiot? I mean, just vile, vile stuff. I didn't care. People were reading it. I was having like a, a blast and he kept in contact with me and he was like every year, he'd be like, are you going to do the 24 blog? So he, he, God bless him. He printed the 24 blog. Um, every time I did it, he put it up on his website and he gave me my first notoriety um, as it were, that was Barstool was nothing like it is now. Believe me, I'd get maybe 10 comments on it uh, each, each time. Um, as a side note, um, when they got a little bit bigger, he actually, uh, offered to hire me as a full-time staff writer for Barstool. And of course he couldn't pay me. So I couldn't take the job, which uh, in the, in retrospect might've been a, a big mistake considering how big they are now. Yeah. You should have asked for equity. But what I also did, and, and this leads into your story is that I, used to send this out also to friends of mine who worked in the corporate world, who then would pass it on to their friends. So I had a friend, a good friend who worked at Citigroup or Citibank back at the time, I forget what it was called. And she had a huge network and she used to send it out and it used to go out to thousands of people within Citigroup. Like how many thousands? Uh, I'd, I'd say thousands. I mean, she said, she said it went out to thousands. She said people used to come up and ask her about it all the time. So yeah, I don't know the name. It was email back then. It wasn't like so, there was, the internet wasn't as pervasive. There wasn't- no. It, it was hard. It was very hard. And that's why you broke virality, so to speak, against a lot of odds. Yes. Um, 
but yeah, no, no I was going to, not, not, unlike, not unlike Jack Bauer beating the odds, by the way, a lot of similarities. Nice plug. Thank you. So I don't have the story. All I remember was, cause I was, again, we're at a Yankee stadium it's mm-hmm. late. I just want to get out of there. And then you start talking to another person and another person, but somehow this guy connects to that. And, and he's like, aren't you Mr. 24 guy? So how, how did he even put that together? <laughs> it's actually squash related actually, because I had a hat on that said, um, and this was, I think this might've been after I stopped. Yeah, it was definitely after I stopped doing it. I had a hat on that said Trinity squash and he knew that uh, he was friends with the actual girl, that woman who was pushing out the block to her city group uh, uh, friends and, and whatnot through that, through that whole company. And he knew her and he had seen pictures of me and knew that I worked in squash and put two and two together. He was sitting like three rows behind us and he saw me and he came up to me and said, are you 24 guy? <laughs> you know, I don't think he knew my name. And I said, what? And it had been like, I think a couple of years since I had written the blog. And, uh, and he, do you think he was just asking that of a lot of people in general? I think I was the fifth person he asked if I was a 24 guy <laughs> and, he, and he finally got a yes. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. And you were sitting next to me like with your mouth open, like, well, yeah. I was, I was confused, but also I think I remember I was like, I just wanted to go home cause baseball takes forever. Um, I mean, they're fun, <laughs> but anyway, um, so yeah, so yeah, that, that, so, uh, only, uh, 10 more questions. Just sure. Um, so, no, I'm ready. 24. Let's do 24 questions. 24. 24. I should have done For 24 sure. questions in 24 seconds, but sure. anyway, we're playing, we're playing a, a little loose here, Bill. Yeah. Not tight. We're going to have the other times that we're going to play tight. This is loose. So I'm curious when you're writing this, mm-hmm. what was the angle you're putting on? Like, was it, just relating it were you trying to make fun of it were you um trying to point out the plot holes like what all of the above all of the above um the plot holes the uh like trying to connect it with other pop culture references so it was before the internet like in google and things where everybody knew every pop culture reference and you could find every video on youtube so i used to read like chuck Klosterman. i used to read i was a voracious um um consumer of pop culture. So I had a ton of pop culture, useless pop culture references in my head. And this was an outlet for them. And people found it funny. And uh, so I would relate it to other TV shows. I would relate it to movies, to food, to you name it. And uh, it was basically totally making fun of it. What was the, and it's hard to get feedback back then, but like the two different angles, I want to hear what was the one that you got the most amount of comments or, or, or reactions to. And then, and then, what was the one that you liked the best? Like, was it a comment or a setup? Um, I would say the one by far I got the most comments on is I, do you, do you remember what the Brady Bunch show is? Mm-hmm. The TV show of the Brady Bunch. Do you remember the theme song? Here's a story, blah, 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 of a yeah. man. Do, yeah. you not, do you not remember that? No, I do. I just go ahead. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. <laughs> you want me to sing the whole yeah, thing? Yeah. Well, well, why... you go for it. it. Yeah, go for it. No, no, no. Not going to do it. So I wrote. There was a, I forget what season it was. It had to be like later in the seasons as the show started going downhill when they introduced like Jack's father and his brother. And they all turned out to be like deep state enemies of the state. And, you mm-hmm. know, and it was just like, yeah, Jack ended up kill, having to kill his brother, which is ridiculous. Um, really? But, so I, the episode. Spoiler of, alert. We should. We should <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Spoiler, for sure. A spoiler alert. And I wrote the whole blog was basically set to the tune of the Brady Bunch using the words of the Brady Bunch, but using calling it the Bauer Bunch. And, All right. I'll, I'll give that props. Yeah. And I wrote the whole thing and like spoofed off it, but basically 
use the same thing as a Brady Bunch song would be. And the and Barstool posted it and it got shredded, shredded. It was like, I mean, it was probably, so, so if I got 10 comments on most of them, I probably got 30 on that one. And everyone was like, who the F is this guy? This is the stupidest thing I've ever read, blah, blah, blah. And I loved it. It was my favorite one. And I loved so it. So that was, okay. So I didn't know which way you're going. That well, was, cool. your- it was, it was my, is where I jumped the shark, as they say in TV. I'm sure that's where I jumped the shark. I'm, okay. I'm sure, so say, so I, I didn't know which way you're answering yeah, that. So that was know. your, that was your favorite. I'm a dark person. Yeah. So it was my, I okay. love, I love the fact that everyone hated it. Okay. I, I respect. Either way, people are talking about the twenty-four guy. Uh-huh. Well, then, so then, what was the one um, that <laughs> confuses your question? <laughs> yeah, now, now, I'm, now I'm just like now so, I'm confused. So here's the one that I liked the comment the best. The guy who said to me, "Holy guy," said, "Holy shit, what a reference!" And that was the uh, I wrote a um, and again, it's been so long that I won't remember the actual thing, but it had something to do with I think it was season two where they were going to blow up a nuclear bomb in L.A. and <laughs> Jack. <laughs> Jack put his ear to the ground and because he put his ear literally on the ground, he, he heard like something like a, like they were, they were like the bomb was about to go. I don't know. It was just so dumb. And I made a comparison to, um, I don't know if you remember the movie, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid. I do. It, yeah. It's like my, it's my favorite movie. If we ever do I like, a, it's a solid one. I like that one. My favorite movie of all time. I just number, don't number like the, the quick one thing. I just don't like the, the bike scene. <laughs> yeah, the, you know, the bike scene is stupid. Stuff. Yeah, the bike scene. I'm surprised no bike companies ever use that. But yeah, the bike scene is kind of dumb. But yeah, I, lo- I love that movie. And I, lo- I for, for different reasons, we may talk about that another time. But either way, Jack put his, his ear to the ground and he knew like the bomb was going to go off or whatever it was. And I, I compared it in the blog to Lord Lord Baltimore. I think his name was Lord Baltimore, who was the um, Indian that um, the sheriff had hired, LaForge La had hired to track him through the mountains. Had, had hired to track uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid when they were being chased and they kept saying, who are those guys? Who are those guys? Yeah. And finally, like they talked about Lord Baltimore and Lord Baltimore was like, you, like they, they looked from the top of the mountain. Lord Baltimore was like putting his ear to the ground to see where like the horse things were running. So I compared to that and somebody on, in, uh, on the, I got a bunch of emails about that and a bunch of uh, comments on Barstool about like, wow, what a re- that's the best reference ever. Dah, dah, dah. So that was my highlight as far as and, like getting props for it. Yeah, I, I think you do like to, you blend obscurity and pop culture. Right. And the, and the problem is there is no obscurity anymore. So that's why th- those kind of blogs are, are, are. Yeah. So now it's just pure obscured. Uh, what, yeah. what sometimes y- you do. Yeah. Um, I think, I think what I do is not obscure. I think you are just so out of the pop culture realm that you don't have like, I, so, so when, when I wrote, I don't the, agree. dude, I wrote the thing for the intro to our last podcast about Jerry Seinfeld. And I used a reference to, uh, comedians in cars driving coffee, uh, uh, comedians in cars getting coffee, which is like, I got it. Ubiqui- you did not get it. You said, it, you, said it. you said, that's not obvious. No one's going to get it. I was like, I think, I think you went too subtle on that. <laughs> that's a, no, no, let, let's, let's not, let's, let's call it what it is. I think there's obscurity and subtlety. That to me was too subtle. Obscurity to me, I would say was more of, and again, you can call me out on this was appointment viewing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I can't, I can't have this conversation with you if you don't know that's fine. But look, let's put it out there. Like, Hey, if anyone knows what appointment viewing means, please email us at squatchradio at gmail.com. Cause Bill and I had a debate about this offline and uh, we're curious what you think. Yeah, definitely. So so, go ahead. Before we, let's not lose track. I know. Before the, the, clock we move on, taking, the clock is ticking. I, this could be the long. They used to say at the beginning of every uh, every Jack Bauer, uh, right? They do that and they say this could be the longest day of his life. Yeah, I think I think he had a 
at least six long days. Uh, we did. know that. He did. Um, what, did he, what did he do the other day? So that's the key. Where did he, when did he go to the bathroom? When did, he never ate, never went the to the bathroom. The bathroom thing always kind of threw me off. Like, not even alluded to, right? Like, he could have just... Came out of the bathroom in season five, I believe, one time. It, it might not have been him. It might have been Curtis. So, look. Uh, I'm trying to wrap this up a little yes, bit. Yes, yes. I'm sure. I'm sure we've lost. You're, you're, lost you're ruining. You're ruining my, my seamless transitions here. So, because I have one last note here. Sure. Um, did you ever see the uh, the 24 rendition? But it was set in 1993. What? <laughs> the 24 rendition, but it was set in 1993. No. What is that? Okay, we're gonna have to find it. You're gonna have to YouTube this, Bill. And I love that I know this that you don't know. Is it a TV and, show? No, it was just like a, a, a 10 minute oh, spoof. Oh, oh, I spoof on it. Got it, got it, got it. Yes. But yeah. it was just like, call me, and he's on a pager. Like, he has to run outside the building. <laughs> it's like, go to the payphone. <laughs> yeah, I, I, will, I will look it up. I'm sure it's it, on your favorite platform, YouTube. Uh, it is, sir. There you go. I don't think it lived there, but it nests there now. Got it, got it. Got okay. It. All right. So we're going to uh, gonna transition on. But before we do, Bill, we have to quickly thank our sponsor, Baya Sports. Bias Sports. Bias Sports, probably one of the probably the best racket shoe I've ever worn. So I received my uh, first pair of Bias Sports racket shoes this weekend. Been wearing them all weekend. Uh, and as I said to you earlier, I wore them. I can't play squash right now. So need to break in the shoes, warm around the neighborhood. People love them. My neighbor saw them, uh, thought they looked great. I, I would wear them to bed uh, if I could. My wife won't let me, but I do dream about squash since I can't play squash uh, now because of the pandemic. But I do dream about playing squash and just know that while I'm dreaming about playing squash, I'm wearing my Baya shoes, my Baya court shoes. I like that. You know, and I think we're an earmarking this time, which is January. We're going to use this as the kind of thread for the breakdown, mm -hmm. this week's breakdown. And around this time of year kind of fluctuates, but certainly a week in January or two weeks in January is what we dub Squash Week in New York City. And giving a little homage to uh, the Tournament of Champions. Yeah. And what I think, there's so many reasons why this tournament just stands out as so memorable for so many reasons for the people to play, the crowds, all that. But it's hard to separate the tournament champions from Grand Central Station. And it's always around this time of year that my phone starts blowing up where people are going through there and they're getting text messages like, hey, you know, you see this? And I'm like saying like, in everyone in the crowd I know. So it's kind of like squash is, uh, is put up on a platform. And one of the questions that came out was, well, I'll let you kind of take it away from here. No, it's it's true. And, and I think I've probably said this to you and, you know, I've said it to numerous people. I always thought, thought that, you know, the, the greatest marketing tool in squash would be is if someone had the money uh, and we could leave that court up in Grand Central Station every day. And it would become so such a, a thing like instead of people saying, hey, uh, you know, meet me in Grand Central Station at the information booth where they typically do now or like at the old days of Yankee Stadium, it was meet me at the bat. People from around the world would say, meet me at the court, meet me at the squash court. And I, I don't think there'd be a better marketing tool for squash. And that 10 days or whatever amount of days it is that that court is up in Grand Central Station, you know, for lack of a better word, they're the most glorious days in squash. There's no question about it. The buzz around there, the people walking through, the people who are like, just stop and look and are like, what is this? It's just, and ask questions and you're, you know, I actually enjoy spending more time outside the glass and then I do sit, sitting in a seat there just to watch the people and listen to the people, answer questions, you know, just kind of get that kind of front wall view. It, it's it's an amazing week. And 
I don't think of all the great places they have squash. I don't think there's a, a better venue for squash than, than uh, Grand Central Station. And I don't think there's a better tournament in squash than the TOC for overall ex- squash experience. So question on that. And part of the theme that we're going to go to that is take a, a thought exercise of what are some other top spots? But I have a question specifically with the TOC or with Grand Central Station that would you have a concern that if it was there, 365, 247, that then it would be, eh, it's always there. Or do you think so? I, does, does scarcity play into this at all? Maybe, maybe, but I think uh, so many different people walk through Grand Central Station. So I don't think there'd be play there all the time. It would just be something that's there, right? Uh, so I don't, it, with the different people who walk through Grand Central, I mean, I don't know what the numbers are, the hundreds of thousands of people a day who walk by there, the millions of people a year, like in there, there are a lot of unique visitors to Grand Central Station. Grand Central Station in itself is a tourist attraction. It's not just a transportation hub. So there's very, there's very few transportation hubs that are tourist attractions, and that is well, one of them. There are tennis courts in Grand Central Station. Yeah, yeah. I, but the, are they public? You know, I think that they – I don't think they're private. What I think is tennis is an expensive sport, and so it's expensive is yeah. what I think. But it's and, a good question. I, I don't know for sure. I don't think – I think it's – people can play there. But people could also walk by, drive by a tennis court everywhere. You know, yeah, not, that's, you know, you can see tennis courts are ubiquitous, so you see them everywhere. But plus, the tennis court, I think, in Grand Central is like the public can't walk by it, right? You have to have to go to it. Well, it is hidden for sure. Yeah, so, so I think I think the location of it is uh is is key. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, 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 I, I'm not sure what to say about it. I, I I disagree. I think that having that court there year round would grow the sport more more than you know there's two things that will grow our sport we always talk about access access is the one thing that's going to grow squash access to courts but having that there i think could lead to access to squash because people would would know i think there's two parts is. it's access and exposure yeah right and exposure. i think that's what professional events really highlight is exposure right and i think there's so many people involved that make that week so special but the lion's share in my opinion still goes to john nimick because he's been at the helm kind of bringing that to fruition. So, you know, really, it's a tough week for all the fans. It's a tough week for all the players to not be enjoying Squash Week in New York. And I think John Nimick is equally feeling the loss, so to speak, of it not happening now. So also, let's not let's not um, poo-poo the loss of me being able to say, like, probably 100 times that week to people who I see that, who normally don't follow Squash, who walk through, and I, as I'm walking them through, I'd say, geez, it's busy. It's like Grand Central Station in here. Can't, I cannot say that enough times during that week. So let's not lose sight of that, that I'm not getting to do that. I, uh, do people laugh? No, they think it's, no, okay. they, think I'm, right. they think I'm an idiot, but it doesn't, makes me laugh, which as you know, it's all that matters. That's, that's all that matters. <laughs> well, so in using this to uh, sort of break down top spots, what are other places in your mind that are top spots? And do you want to go global or you want to go U.S.? Yeah, I, I'm, uh, you know, global, the one thing, the one, and I, we're, we're obviously um, piggybacking on a PSA video that came out this week that did a bunch of the players. And the, the one that came out the most was the Eiffel Tower. Um, every, and there's, oh, that's cool. yeah, no, no tournament at the Eiffel Tower, but I'll, I'll stick for the most part. I would say the, the one international spot that I think would, would be cool is, um, is in front of Buckingham Palace. Well, I mean, you're just making a play on your name. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, but also, you know, cool spot, you know. Plus, did you hear Joey and PJ say Buckingham over and over and over again for like 10 days? How great would that be? 
So while we're, and I will say, and I have to preface a lot of this of anything I ever say is I, I definitely know and understand squash in the United States. It doesn't translate to other places, right? So I, I kind of know where my swim lane is in this case. Mm-hmm. So this is a little bit outside my swim lane, but I'm going to throw it back to you in, ha- in a hot second. Um, you know, actually, I need help. I'm going to ask for, for I'm going to phone a friend here and it's Bill. Um, what would be a place? Because I think it's tough that you and sure. I work within an industry that we're so immersed that there's an element that it's sometimes hard to put on a like a true fan hat, right? Yeah, yeah. What would get you to purchase your own ticket, fly, and watch a squash match? So, like, where where would that place be on the planet for you? Key West, Florida. All right. So, if like if there was a tournament going on there, you are just your would, dollars out the door for you. Yes, I would go. I would uh, I would make plan. There, there's probably no other squash tournament that I would pay my own money. Uh, besides the TOC, because New York's so easy to get to, and uh, you know I, I'm in New York all the time. But as far as like getting on an airplane and going to, that would I, I would go there. And I don't, I can't think of any other place that I would do that. Right on, right on, right on Mallory Square, right, right on the, uh, right on the Gulf there. Um, just an, an awesome setting. And the, the, you know, Key West is like is is my favorite uh, vacation spot in the uh, continental United States. So you would say it's destination worthy, a hundred percent destination worthy. But while thinking about that, I thought of a bunch of other places, like just like cool spots, like, you know, thinking about like places that like you see on TV all the time. I was thinking of like red, like concert venues, like red rocks, like that would be a cool looking venue. I'm trying to think what it would look like on TV. Um, Alcatraz, <laughs> I think would, would, would be cool. Logistically, probably not great. Um, you could put the players up though, right there. Right. You know, put them in a cell tonight, save some hotel money. And Another one, which is a little bit more, um, not as well known as there's in, in LA, there's a, it's either the Griffin or the Griffith. I always confuse it. The observatory that's way up on the hill and you can see all of LA and it's just, the, the views are amazing and the, the space is amazing. So those, those are kind of the cool spots that you see in movies at all the time that you, uh, you would think that there would be a cool spot to drop a court, the logistics, uh, logistics, notwithstanding. Well, let's suspend logistics, right? And, yeah. um, and this is, I've given it some thought, but it's, you know, I'm using this opportunity to kind of just kind of riff and, and go for it. Actually, add one concept that uh, this is, which I thought, I, I have given some thought to, like, what would be the coolest thing to do? I would love to see the college squash championships at Madison Square Garden. Where, like, where the basketball court is? Yeah. Really? Huh. See, why? Why not? Well, it's, it's a, it's like, it's a basketball arena. It's not, I mean, just, just to say it's there is cool, but the actual like production of it, it would just look like it's like it's in any gymnasium. Look, man, I mean, work with me here. <laughs> I'm just saying that's a terrible take. I was like, yeah, of all the spots in the world, Madison square garden. I thought, I, I thought it'd be cool. Well, you, you, well, not cool to you. All right. So let me throw, you know, the way I try and think about it, uh, what would be destination worthy? What would get exposure? What gets high traffic? You know, I mean, when when you and I helped run the U.S. Open on Michigan Avenue, like that was in Chicago, like that was pretty amazing. That was awesome. That that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that was that's one of my one of my fondest squash memories, actually. And um, j- just the, all the thought of what could have went wrong that week um, with weather, it it, it turned it turned out the only thing that went wrong was the sun was too strong, and we had delayed games because there was strong uh, a strong sun. But yeah, that was a solid certain certainly a solid spot. 
so I, I think the question when you think about that, because and it was interesting, listen to the tour pros say that say what they wanted. And there were some were very interesting. Tesney Evans talking about a, a castle in Wales, which would be really cool also. But can you imagine the logistics? And I know you want to put logistics aside, but it's tough to do that. And so it, it leads me to, you know, getting away from the um, uh, Pollyanna thought of let's drop a cord here. It's going to be awesome to is, is it really worth dropping courts in these spots as opposed to doing it in not in Madison Square Garden, obviously, because the cost behind that would probably be astronomical. But instead of dropping a court somewhere, using existing glass courts for these big squash events and making the television production the thing as opposed to, you know, it, it's cool. I'm not saying it's not cool when they're at these like at the pyramids and when they're at these different spots. But a lot of times once the squash starts, you're really just watching squash on a squash court and a squash court's a squash court, right? And you're not looking at the so you're pyramid. saying, well, I mean, here's if you want to go to that extreme build, then it's like, let's just create one studio and then it all goes through there. Yeah. I mean, it, for it, it's television, right? It's a television product. That's where they're going to make the money. If squash is going to explode, it's not going to explode because there's a, a, a tournament um, in front of the Eiffel Tower. It's going to explode. Well, yes and no. I think that you're not identifying certain trends, though, mm -hmm. of... <clears throat> look at WWF now, which was WWE, that you can yeah. still do both. You can achieve both. What do they do? I don't watch it, so what do they do? Well, I mean, you have a huge arena, and right. you still do TV production. So you're saying to cut costs, like you're eliminating the live fan experience. Yeah, they, yes and no. I, I think the cost savings, so to drop a glass court, like say in a gymnasium somewhere, roughly, I, I'm guessing, it's like 50K. Is that, am I roughly correct on that? All, all in, all in. Look, I, I don't think, um, I mean, getting into the, the nuts and bolts of how much stuff costs, like it's, it's a factor. It's not a determiner. Right. Because it's Bill, like put it this way, that's also like looking, A, what we don't have yet is outside dollars investing in the sport in order to, to really make it profitable. Because regardless, I was like, hey, this to put on this court, let's just use Vegas will cost $10 million. Right. And would you, would you say you want to do that or not do that? Uh, not. Right. But if I'm saying, hey, let's do this and then we have a we can make a hundred million dollars, would you want to do that or not do that? Uh, of course. But I don't and I think in the, if that's a possibility, then great, but I don't think that's a possibility now. Well so, with not with that kind of thinking. <laughs> no, ab absolutely the case. So you could still have a great fan experience. Say take a glass court like at Yale University has a four wall glass court. Can you not just have like you know what? Let's take this. Let's take blackball in Cairo. They've been hosting these gold and platinum events for the last since they opened like two or three years ago. Um, great events. Uh, they're not having to drop a court anywhere. They don't have to go through that part of it. Uh, so as a tournament organizer or someone who might be interested in putting on a big squash event, the thought of having to go through the logistics of and I can't imagine what John Nimick goes through at Grand Central Station. It's just got to be incredible the amount of logistics that, go, that uh, goes into that running that event. So if you take that away and there's an existing court and the rest, all you really need to think about is besides, you know, players is the hospitality and the fan experience. The court's already there. I, I think you get a lot more people interested in running events. Yeah, I mean, look, I think we're asking the wrong problem here is how do we engage and increase fans? If we reverse engineer from there, right? Like there's logistics in everything you go do running a restaurant, right? The US Open in tennis, it, that's a lot of logistics, Bill. Yeah. But they, you know, on but average. But they don't have to build a court each time they do it. Well, so then that's what I'm saying is like, do we need to build a single arena? Like, so it's kind of a hybrid of what you're saying of like studio. Yeah, we need to be 100% mindful of 
a TV and broadcast experience, which I think you were using Yale. That's not the pinnacle of broadcast experience if we're going TV or mainstream. For sure. Right? For sure. So it's like a purpose-built arena. Uh, so let's take my TV studio thought out of it and go just to places that have existing glass courts, such as Black Ball, such as, such as the, uh, our own Spectre Center in Philadelphia is going to have. Places like that where the courts are not going to be there, are already going to be there and you don't have to build one. To me, it just takes a big impediment out of the way of, have, of running these events. You, you got it. And that's kind of where I was going is I think you, we need to be thinking of both reverse from it. Like live events are going to increase once COVID is there. It was already that trend. Mm-hmm. Um, esports, which was an interesting <clears throat> approach that, look, this these were um, people playing in, in their homes, right? And as they got more fans wanting to watch them live, now they're building purpose-built arenas for esports, which is on trend to be the largest by far. Um, entertainment and sporting events in a few years. So I think what we're saying is right now, we really need to be arena focused. Yes. And what we don't know is what size and what's the makeup of that. Because right now, I do think our own Spectre is probably going to be, sorry, the Spectre Center is going to be probably the best squash arena in the country for sure. Yes. And I don't know enough about the other places in the world uh, where that might be, but arena focused squash centers is where I would say we need to head. Yeah, for sure. And, and hey, hey, to get away from what we started talking about, because those spots were that, you know, it is cool. And that's always been the, the beauty of squash. And I think it was what, like one of the big pitches of the Olympic bid um, when Nicole David and Rami Ashore were part of that, uh, the video, I forget what your Olympics we were trying to get into at that point, maybe the I forget actually, um, but they were saying, you know, you could drop the glass court anywhere. And, and that's always been one of the main selling points of squash is you could drop a glass court anywhere. But when people say that, it, it it makes it seem like it's like there's a glass court and there's a helicopter and it comes in and it gets just put on the ground there and you go play. Squash. Yeah, but like, like, I think you're getting too much into like the logistics there. And it's just like, look, if it gets exposure and it gets fans, it might be worth doing. So you always have your ear to the ground, so to speak. And you have a, a pulse of not unlike Lord Baltimore. Thank you. Or Jack Bauer. Um, so what's the buzz? What were some of the reactions of other people saying where courts should be? I would, for tops, for I, top I, would, I would say, uh, Annette, did you not watch the video? I take it. No, thanks for sending. Oh, no, no, no problem. No problem. Yeah, you probably you don't have access to the internet. I forgot. Um, no, I just wasn't uh, for my co-host on this wasn't didn't flag it for me. OK, fair enough. Um, I, I'd say Paris was uh, Eiffel Tower was far and away the one that people asked the most. Another, a couple of other interesting ones were Vegas, which obviously with the lights and all that. But again, places like Vegas, unless you're going to do it outdoors on the strip, you're just going to be indoors somewhere like in a theater. So I don't know. I don't know how great that would be outside outside on the strip. Obviously, awesome outdoors having its own issues. And also another one outdoors someone said was like somewhere like in the midwest with mountains or like in like montana and have mountains and lakes and things like that like a part of the country that number one doesn't really have any squash but also a part of the country that not too many people see in person so but that those were, were kind of unique uh tesney's uh castle was was very unique and the rest of the people said the eiffel tower which is is so iconic it's actually hard to believe there hasn't been one in front of the eiffel tower to be honest with you yeah, I think that'd be a really great one, especially with the Olympics, with an eye towards that. You know, I think it's helpful talking through and really this kind of just highlights that I think it needs to be under line of thinking of destination worthy or, or exposure opportunities. And if you can combine the two, 
I think that's the sweet spot. Sure. Um, getting, I, getting back quickly just to the TOC, which is an anomaly in all of these, because running that tournament in Grand Central, as I stated, you know, said earlier, must be a logistical nightmare. But interesting that it's probably for the players, they all say it's their favorite tournament. They always, everybody says, I love the TOC. The atmosphere is great. Love playing there. They probably have like the most impediments to their normal routine there, right? Like there's no real warm up space. There's a lot of stuff that's not there for the players that is in other, at other tournaments strictly mostly because of space but the players still love it so i think that kind of just shines a light on how great the toc is and how great having oh. that tournament in grand central is that the players are lo willing to look past the uh the the, the, the niggling things that, that bother them uh normally at other tournaments and say hey we're, we're gonna put up with it because this is this is awesome by the way through our discussion <laughs> i just uh again just thought of it right now well mm -hmm. through our discussion mm -hmm. as you know i kind of like to think big yeah. Would you would you say that's fair or unfair? Very fair. Too big? Too big. Yes. Normally I'm too big? Okay. Yes. Madison Square but, Garden for the collegiate that, uh, hey, Too big. Fair enough. Now, <laughs> I think I might have just thought of one that combines... Uh, so exposure opportunity doesn't fit, but could solve certain things. And please suspend actual, like, certain logistics. So concept only. You ready? Sure. sure. Mute me so, what, I don't, so I don't laugh. When I say this, do you actually suspend it or are you just appeasing me? Suspend what? Oh, you know, like I'm, just, I'm not suspending it. I'm suspending it. I'm, I'm, okay, okay. Uh, yep, open, open-minded. Okay. Uh, a tournament usually lasts five, seven days. Yeah, well, for not for the people we, setting it up, but yeah. Correct, correct. Uh, doing a cruise ship and you make it like you land in a port, then you have all to play all the week, and then you land in a different port and the finals are played in a different port. What do you think? <laughs> it's making your madison square garden idea sound better <laughs> a lot of this is just contextual in comparison but let me ask you this would you do you like cruise ships or not i don't that's probably why okay i'm, so not, that's, a, that's, I'm not a cruise ship person bill truth be told i don't like cruise, i don't like cruise ships either uh, i'm just saying that there is a cruise ship okay yeah. I was, I, was psyched you were, I was psyched you were going to contribute to this discussion. So I was like, all your, you're, you're actually going to pitch in and like, you know, add to this. And uh, now, now I'm kind of yeah. wishing, now I'm kind of wishing you stayed silent. Okay. Well, um, what about an aircraft carrier? The aircraft carrier would be cool. They've had basketball, uh, college basketball games on aircraft carriers. And, That's and what I'm saying. yeah, yeah, for sure. For so sure. that, those were my two, uh, you know, aircraft carrier, I think, I actually was suspending it because of logistics, but you know, I think with the Naval Academy and mm -hmm. what they're doing, yeah, it, it's such an interesting program. I think that you know this would really get behind. I, I'm a huge fan of Team USA, Bill. What, what am I wearing today? Team USA gear. Team USA gear, and I think that that could just really be a, a really good opportunity for the red, white, and blue. Sure. Uh, so. Maybe it's Team Nationals or something going on there, but put in a squash court on an aircraft carrier. I, what I, do you I, think of that? I, I think that's a much better idea. I like the way you transition from the, <laughs> the ridiculous idea of a cruise ship to something uh, that is actually interesting and sounds like it would be really cool. So, bravo. well, thanks. Bravo. Well, thanks, Bill. Bravo. Yeah, and you know, you're you've always been such an easy partner to brainstorm with. So, <laughs> hey, hey, Connor, as, as they say on aircraft carriers, mission accomplished. I mean, that has that. Are you, it's a pretty good mic drop opportunity. Do you want to use that as the last word, or do I you did. want to close this out? No, I'm done. I'm done. That was great. I appreciate it. Um, uh, and uh, let's wrap this up. Thank you all for listening. And another part that we're doing here is the fan follow-up. So if you want, we've been really liking all the different text messages. And the email is probably the easiest for us, uh, squashradio at gmail.com, but also feel free on the social media platforms. And again, Bill, have you engaged with anyone on Twitter yet? 
Uh, on Twitter, I have actually, and uh, also emails and, and personal conversations, most of them along the lines of, wow, Bill, you're doing a great job. It's too bad your co-host doesn't carry his load a little better. That, I mean, to, that's yeah. most of those are from my wife. All right. Sorry. We'll just leave with the awkward pause. Just fade out. <laughs> See you next episode, Connor. <laughs> Squashradio yeah. at gmail.com at Buck Squash. Thank you for listening. And we really don't have any fan follow-up for this one, right? <laughs> we just we just dropped the podcast this morning. So. Hey, quick timeout and let's talk sports. Bias Sports shoes are designed for racket sport players by racket sports players with the knowledge that if a shoe can withstand the rigors of squash, then it will have no problem holding up for any other indoor court sport. No matter what your sport, the Bia Force X is the performance shoe of choice for competition at the highest level.